28, I picked uh, verse 14 out of Proverbs 28. This is not our, our text for today, but you know me. I love the Proverbs, so um, this is what you get. A tender-hearted person lives a blessed life, and a hard-hearted person lives a hard life. Amazing how true that is. Well, I want to welcome all of you today. Um, we are in the second week of a three-week series called The End. And uh, if you're thinking, you know, well, you know, kind of, Terry, this is kind of creepy. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it is. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I want to, if you're a guest, I want to say to you, we're not always this weird and this creepy. And, and you know, in 45 minutes or an hour or so, you'll be, you know, have a coffee and cookies and it'll be okay. Unless the world ends in the next hour. <laughs> we'll talk about that um, in the next little while. But we're not always this weird. We're not always this creepy. Um, and so, <laughs> well, maybe we are kind of weird and creepy. I don't know. Some I, hear, um, I hear it from the Star Trek section right over here, which is a little bit fringe, right? I'm a part of that club. And um, so I, I just want to say to you, too, now, if, if you're jumping into the middle, so if you missed this last week, you can get, uh, get current with us. The messages, all of the messages that we have here are free, and they're available online. Here's the web address. There are two, actually. There's a big, long one, crossroadsfoursquare.net. Or crossroads.bz, if you can't remember the long one, then there's a short one. Both of those will take you to the website. The messages are free. Just click on your messages. You can listen to them online. You can download them and play them later while you're working out. Or you can you know, say, I hated this message. You can put it on something and then hammer it and throw it away. So you know, I should have never listened to this thing. You guys have to lighten up. You just have to <laughs> smile a little bit more. Um, okay, so last week we were in Second Thessalonians 4. We talked about the return of Christ and the, the resurrection of the dead and the, the reunion of Christians with God in heaven. So we did that last week. Um, next week I'm going to take an overview, a very broad overview of the book of Revelation because you can't do that book in a week. So we're just going to kind of drill some core samples, some important places that I think we should, we should uh, pay attention to. Today I want to talk to you about your end times. What's going to happen to you when creation comes to that culminating time and place? Because you know, whether or not Jesus returns to the earth in your lifetime, whether that happens um, or not, there will come a time for you and for every one of us where we will have to face one of two judgments. And I want to talk today about those two different judgments and and maybe answer the question a little bit about what heaven will be like. So I want to start today by building a foundation um, for where we're going to go. And to do that, we're going to, going to go all the way to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, starting in verse 12. And this is Jesus talking. And so you can read along. I'll put the words up on the, scripture, or on the wall for you. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I'll give to everyone according to what he has done. Now, if you are new to Christianity, I want to make something very, 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 very clear to you um, and be real clear about this. We are not qualified for heaven based on how good we are. That does not qualify us for heaven. In fact, every one of us is a sinner. Everybody falls short. We all some, somehow. And the only way we are made right with God, the only way, is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture teaches. We're made right with God through grace and uh, through faith, and we're forgiven by Jesus. So Christians, it's very important then for uh, you know, us to know, 
your, although your works do not qualify you for heaven, the way you live does determine how you'll be rewarded in heaven. We're going to see how scripture teaches us that. So Christians, catch that. The way you live on the earth will determine how you're rewarded in heaven. Here's an example. Um, heard this story about a preacher and a taxi cab driver who both died. Start smiling now. You'll make me feel better because this is a corny joke. Rachel, get ready to laugh. Okay, my daughter has to laugh. A daughter has to laugh at her dad's jokes. That's just an axiom. It's a truth. So these two die and they go to heaven and they're met at the pearly gates by St. Peter and St. Peter says, hey, come on in. We were, we were expecting you. And he says to the pastor, come on, here's your nice three-bedroom house, two baths, and you got a nice fenced backyard. Enter in. We're glad you're here. Then he turns to the taxi cab driver and says, come on over here. We've got for you a nice 17-room mansion with a pool in the backyard and a view, and you're on the ninth hole of the, 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 the links of paradise. You've really made it. Now the pastor's listening to that. going, hey, Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on just a minute here. You realize, of course, don't you, that I spent my entire life faithfully caring for the flocks of the Lord. You know that. And, the, and, and, and Pete says to him, yes, yes, we, we get that. And you are rewarded based on you know, your results on earth. And here's the deal. Every time you preached, people slept. But every time the taxi driver drove, people prayed. <laughs> now that's... <laughs> That's not <laughs> so a little too close to home, I know. So that's not exactly what's going to happen in heaven. St. Peter will not meet you at the gate. But the way you live on earth will have something to do with the way you're rewarded in heaven. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, for me, I want to know what that's going to be like. I like to plan a little bit in advance, especially to like to plan a little bit before it's too late to make your changes in your plan. So, I mean, I want to know. So today I want to look at those two different judgments. And so for the first, the first one, if you're going to be taking notes, the first of the two judgments we'll look at today will be, is called the judgment seat of Christ. What is it and when will it take place? Let's start with when, when it'll take place. And a, a lot of scholars believe that it's going to take place right after the return of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of the Christian dead. And the reason that they believe that is based upon a a little verse in a story that Jesus was telling, and we find that in Luke chapter 14, and Jesus is basically saying to people, hey, if you're going to throw a dinner party, don't just invite your family and friends and rich people and people of influence, because all of those people can pay you back by inviting you to their party. Jesus, he, he goes on and he says, you should invite the poor. You should invite the lame. You should invite the, the cripple. Because they can't pay you back. And then verse 14, this is, these are the words of Jesus. And he says this, Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So that's where, why a lot of scholars believe that that's when that reward will happen, at the resurrection of the righteous. So a lot of people believe that the judgment seat will take place right afterwards right after the, those who are in Christ are raised from the dead. Now, where do we read about this? We see this in 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, most scholars agree and, and believe, and I, I tend to agree with this, that the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment seat for Christians only. 
The judgment seat of Christ is for Christians only. That uh, you're not going to be judged there for salvation or damnation. That's already been established. If you're a Christian, you're already saved. But this is a judgment for rewarding you for the good works that are done on earth. Now, there's reasons that people believe this. The, 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 the word in this passage, judgment, um, the Greek word that's used there is bema. It's pronounced bema. It's, 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 it's spelled B-E-M-A. Sometimes you hear people re- reference the bema seat or some people pronounce it bema seat of Jesus. They're talking about the mercy seat of the Lord. And what a bema seat was was not a seat where a judge would sit and render a verdict of guilty or innocent. Bama seat was something that you would see at the conclusion of like Grecian athletic games, like the picture of the Olympics. So you would judge to make sure that the participants obeyed the rules, and then there would be winners, and at the, at the Bama seat, they would take a laurel wreath or a, a, a reward of some sort and Place, place it on the winner's head. The Bama seat was a place of handing out awards, not judgment, not negative judgment. Congratulations. Lisa and I took um, a Sunday off a number of years ago, because, which we don't do very often, but um, our oldest son, Ben, was running the Capital City Marathon. Now, if any of you are runners... That's a, a accomplishment. And we thought, you know, to watch Ben run the marathon, we, we'll, go, we'll go drive the car from place to place because it's too much work <laughs> to actually run it with him to see him do it. So we took this Sunday off, and, um, and so Ben went running. And it was early in the morning on a Sunday, and we, it was kind of funny. We went from place to place, and at the very beginning, he was all excited, and he was fresh. And over time, as the miles piled up, he got a little less fresh, and it became work, maybe 10, 12 miles. I remember particularly when we got to 17, 18, 19, it seems like he was angry at God and everybody else for putting him into this race. But then he finally did get through to the finish line, and here's... Here's Ben. And we were so proud because all along the way, we would encourage him saying, way to go, Ben, keep going. You've only got 14 more miles. <laughs> you know, you've only got seven more. You've only got three. You've only got another mile. And then he came across and, you know, it wasn't just us at that point. Everybody along the, if you've ever been to one of those, it's, it's pretty cool. And um, um, so we were just really, really proud of him. We just, we just, you know, I don't remember if we gave him anything. He, he did get that cool T-shirt and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he got through it. I think his reward was being done with the thing. <laughs> but we wanted to say to him, that was so well done, Ben. Way to go. We were just really, really wanted to just, our, our sense of pride for his accomplishment, we were just really, really pleased. Imagine your heavenly father thinking through this is this analogy of running a race. It's a great analogy, and, and, and even Paul uses it. It's a great analogy of us living our life. God is, is cheering you along the way. And at times when you start out, you're all excited, and you have enthusiasm, and then you get to the place where the blisters of life hurt, and you can get discouraged, and people trip you, and they, they're not sensitive to you, and there's just plain the, the wear and the tear and the weariness of life can slow you down, and you, you get to that, what is it, the wall at 19 or 20, whatever it is. I don't know, because I haven't done it. And you get there, and sometimes you just think, like, I just want to quit. And God is still saying, no, come on. You're not that far away from the end. There's good things that are going to be on the other side of that line. Push. Push past. So um, I think God just is looking forward to the Bama seat. I really think he's looking forward to it. 
And um, you know, the question is, how are we going to be rewarded as well? And there, we're not certain about that. Scripture gives us some hints, gives us some information. Um, and one possibility is that there may be dozens or hundreds or who may be more different kinds of crowns or other forms of rewards that, uh, that we'll get. And according to Scripture, there are at least five different types of crowns, and, and I have those dug out of the Scripture, so I'll go over them real quickly for you. There's one called the incorruptible crown, given to people who've run a faithful race, um, for people devoted to Christ, and they, they live righteously as best they can. Another crown called the crown of rejoicing. That's for people who like to share their faith. You know, you invite friends to church, or you, um, you, you're kind of a light at the office. You're not so overt about, you know, thumping people with your Bible, but you like to help people because, and they see something about you, and so you just kind of help people sort things out. You're, you're, that's that's a, a crown of rejoicing. Another crown is called the crown of righteousness. Those, that's for people who love his return. Maranatha, the Lord's coming. Remember last week, people who were excited about that, and they pressing forward, forward say, come on, come on, you know, um, crown of righteousness. There's another crown called the crown of glory, and that's laid out First Peter for basically people who are faithful shepherding. And then finally, there's something called the crown of life. That's for people who suffer on behalf of, of Jesus, on behalf of Christ. People that are martyred, people that are endure hardships, suffering. Now, if you think whatever your reward is and your crowns are, that you're going to kind of you know, go through the award ceremonies and get this stack of crowns and maybe wear one and you have some more. In fact, you'll have a wagon to carry all your crowns with you. If you think, if you think you're going to kind of tote your crowns around and you know, people are going to go, wow, I only got you know, one and you've got that whole stack and you go, yeah, yeah. What's, what's your problem? You, you, uh, you, know, you barely made it here, Christian, with only one crown. That is not what you will do. You, you will not do that. I, I just don't think that, that that will be your temperament. I mean, there's, there's mention of this in Revelation 4 where these 24 elders have received these crowns. And what, if you know what they did with their crowns, they took them off their heads and said, here, they, they don't belong here. They, they belong. I mean, imagine, imagine yourself, Jesus, who had a crown of thorns, nail-scarred hands, putting a ruby-crusted crown of gold on your head, it might be one of the most humiliating moments of your existence. I think, opinion, I think your temperament might be, thank you, Lord, but you know what? You are the one that's worthy. You, you are the one, God, that's anointed. You are the Holy One. And you probably will be more inclined to worship <laughs> him and that's right you're going to be more inclined to give him honor and give him praise so for Christians how you live on earth will determine how you'll be rewarded in heaven now I just want to take a step backwards in this whole topic about the end times and uh, because I've worked on a timeline a series of events that will be marked about the end times now I, I want to say this before I get to them Especially because, you know, in any given Sunday we'll have some visitors. And um, this, is, this is, like I, I joked before about seeming a little bit weird. There are supernatural events at, at work here. No less supernatural than the things that you and I consider common every day. 
My daughter's pregnant. She's going to produce a child. I get the biology of that, but it's no less a miracle in my mind. It's an absolute miracle. You go to the chemical store and try and build one if you think it's not. Yeah. I mean, the things that happen day in and day out that are supernatural, that go on around us, that we're so used to, um, the supernatural should be what we expect the end of times to be like. Anyway, so um, some of these events are certainly going to be amazing events. So I want to say this as well. What I'm going to give you is, is I'm going to call this a suggested timeline. Everybody say the word suggested. Okay. I'm not saying this is 100% what it will be. Although I study this and I, and I hold to this and I believe this, there are smart people who have different opinions about the end times, right? So I'm going to give you what I believe here, and that's why I say suggested. Anytime you hear somebody who says, here's for sure what's, what it's going to be, and it's on a TV program or on a website, that's where you go, okay, uh-huh, okay, you're one of those who believes you know everything. Carefully, be careful. They could be right. They could be right, but... Anyway, so I say suggested. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm t- I've taken a bunch of different verses and I'm building what I believe is an accurate timeline. So last week we saw that we're, the first thing is going to be that re- Christ is going to return. And at that time, the dead in Christ will rise. See that? And I've given you some scriptural references there too. Um, the dead in Christ will rise. Then Christians will be raptured, will be caught up. The word is snatched up. It's like rescued is the word. And, uh, you know, some people believe that will take place a little bit later. I believe in a pre-tribulation um, rapture. I guess we'll find out. And, um, and then the next thing that happens is that believers will be rewarded, according to what we just read. And that will, then will come what's called the seven-year tribulation. Now, you may know something about the seven-year tribulation. Um, the second half, the second three-and-a-half-year time period in that tribulation will be way worse than the first. That's where we'll see the rise of somebody that's called the Antichrist. And then there will be um, a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. Now that will be a big battle, a big big battle of evil versus righteousness. It's a culminating battle and um, our God will win. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah. Scripture then says um, what, what, happened, what will happen then is that Satan will be thrown by God into a bottomless pit where he'll be held and he's bound there for about a thousand years or for a thousand years. And then he'll be released again for a short period of time before God does away with him forever. And during that 1,000 years, Christ will return for a thousand, that thousand year reign. That's, that's known as the millennial, millennial reign. The first time he comes back, he comes back for the church. The first time he comes back at the rapture, he comes back for the church. The second time he comes back, he comes back with the church. And um, so that's that event. And um, Okay, so, so, so that, then following that thousand-year reign, um, we'll see what's listed in Revelation 20, verse 5, as called as the resurrection of the dead. Now, last week we looked at you know, two resurrections. The first is the resurrection of those who were in Christ, people who died in relationship with God. And the second is for non-Christians. And that's known as the resurrection of the dead. Those resurrected then will be judged at at an event called the Great White Throne Judgment. Before God does then finally what he's wanted to do all along and establish a new heaven and a new earth. So, So people ask the question, 
what will heaven be like? Won't we be bored in heaven? I mean, we're going to just sit around all the time, worshiping God forever, watching fat, chubby little angels on clouds playing harps? <laughs> Could be, I don't know. Um, you know, what, what's heaven going to be like for all of eternity? I mean, that's a long time for a harp concert. That's just too long. And um, John had a vision of heaven, and we see that in Revelation 21. And in that vision, he gives three specific descriptions of what heaven is going to be like. First description is that God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So God creates a brand new earth without the curse of sin. Without the curse of sin. Wow. And that's, that's, why, that's why many scholars tend to believe, and I agree with them, <coughs> that whatever you enjoy on the earth, you'll be able to enjoy in heaven as well. The only difference is that you won't be under the curse, under the burden of sin. Just like in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God Almighty. Uninterrupted fellowship with the Creator before the serpent kind of came in and ruined everything with the temptation. There is a scripture in 1 Corinthians Two, and it basically says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard the wonderful things that Jesus has for you. It's going to be really, really good. Um, so whatever you love on the earth, your favorite moments on the earth, heaven will be indescribably better than that. Now, I don't mean to burden you with my um, family vacation videos, but I think this through. Picture your absolute best moments you can think of in your life. You just kind of imagine them for a minute. And I was thinking this question through. What's the best thing that I can do to paint this picture? And so I'm now going to subject you to 90 seconds of some of my absolute best moments of my memory. I think she's done this before. She does so good. Looks <laughs> like she got you a few times. Then you're a little wet.
So, you know, you take your absolute best moments on the earth, your absolute best ones. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for you. If you don't have memories like this, if you have mostly bad memories, you can still dream. Take the absolute best you can come up with, and it's going to be better. Because you can't conceive of the good things Jesus has for you. God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Second thing John saw, saw in that was this. You will never, ever suffer again. Here's what scripture says, and this is a promise from God. Verses 4 and 5. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For those of you that hurt right now, right this moment... You need to know in the new heaven and the new earth, that pain won't be there. No more pain. No more suffering. Your body is racked with pain. That's never going to happen again. If you have to watch someone on chemotherapy and you love them and you don't get it, and you, that will never happen again. If you have headaches, they won't have, you won't have headaches anymore. No more cancer no more diabetes, no more AIDS, no more famine, no more sickness, no more divorce, no more disease, no more loneliness. The world has no curse. There will be no curse. And you can walk with God and he'll do away with all pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Praise God. He'll establish a new heaven and a new earth and and you'll never ever suffer again. The third thing, is that you will live with God forever. This is the way this is described in Scripture. Now, and we're going to read a phrase, a loud voice. This is the 20th time in the Revelation where the phrase, a loud voice, is listed. In fact, this is the last time in Scripture where a loud voice comes up. I think that's significant. Um, Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne. One commentary says, Because it's the last one, it's the most important one to God. Could be, don't know. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is the final declaration from the throne. God saying, finally it's done. Finally it's back the way I created it. Finally it's the way I wanted it. My children with me and I'm with them. Finally. And the reason that this room right now, there's nobody cheering and clapping is because our finite minds really can't comprehend what this really, really means. You know, here's the reality. You and I cannot handle the the presence of God in his purest essence. Scripture tells us that that, uh, we cannot look upon him in his purest essence and live. We, We can't. But on that day, when we're raised to life, when our immortal bodies and we're clothed in righteousness, we can walk with God in fellowship just like in the garden. Just like in the garden of Eden before temptation. And God is saying this, that's the way I always wanted it. And why? It's not just because he loves us. God is love. It's his nature. He created us as the object of his love. He's satisfied, he's fulfilled. 
His plan is complete when his children dwell with him. Now, those of you <clears throat> who have children, you know, you can identify with that. And, you know, when your kids are all together with you, there will come a point where they grow up and they kind of start their life. But when your kids are all together with you, even as adults, it's, it's the, the universe is back in balance. It's the way things ought to be. I mean, as every parent wants to have that. I mean, Lisa and I are that way. We just want our kids back. We realize they got their own lives and they live in different cities. And, and uh, I, I just get this. I think, I think you know, God is just, just saying no more pain. I'm fixing all that stuff. Finally, finally, I've got them back with me. And it all starts out when you stand before the one who is crowned with thorns. And he welcomes you with this crown of righteousness into the heaven that he's prepared for you. And so those of you who are Christians, you have all that to look forward to. Now here's the problem. Most people today out there believe that heaven is the default destination. But I need to tell you clearly, it's not. Hell is the actual default destination. You know, what, what we get is, um, you know, you, you may not want to hear the things I'm going to say to you now, and I would understand that, but, um, you know, we, we do this. You know, we say, oh, well, good old Uncle Joel, he was a good guy, and, uh, you know, he wasn't much of a churchgoer. He didn't really have anything to do with God. He wasn't religious. He wasn't perfect, but he was a pretty good old boy, and uh, except for that one time. We're not going to talk about that one time, you know, but... He's gone now, and he's in a better place. And we tell ourselves that to make ourselves feel better anytime somebody passes on. And we're thankful they're in a better place, believing that heaven is the default destination. But actually, hell is the default destination. Yet most people believe, hey, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing the best we can. We're all going to go to heaven, right? That's kind of really what people... Believe, but Jesus actually said something that was very sobering to us in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. These are the words of Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's a tragedy that so many people believe that heaven is the default when the reality is that many people are traveling on the broad road. And that broad road leads to destruction. Hell, it does. So we talked about the first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ where Christians will be rewarded for their works on earth. And um, we believe that you know, how we live on earth determines how we're rewarded in heaven. The second judgment, if you're taking notes, is called the great white throne judgment. Christians will not be there. Christians will not be there. And here's how the great white throne judgment is described in, in Scripture. Uh, John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and he, he uh, in, in Revelation 20, had this vision, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. In other words, those who were significant... And those who were not significant, everybody through all, all of history was, was there, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And each person was judged, verse 13, 
according to what he had done. Now, here's the important part, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's just sobering. You know, if anyone's sins were not covered by Christ, if they had not in their lifetime called upon the grace of God, if they were judged by their own works alone and not by the perfect works of Jesus Christ, if their name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire because that's the default destination. Now, I want to pause again for a minute because I think probably many of us are thinking, you know, especially if you're not a church person, if you're not a Christian, maybe you're a little bit skeptical, you probably are thinking what I would be thinking, and that is, you know, hang on. That doesn't seem fair. I don't like that part of the story. That just does not seem fair. I'm God sending people to hell? I just doesn't sound fair. And that would be my first thought, too, until I thought this through logically. I mean, how many of you have ever known someone who really hurt someone else severely and they weren't held accountable for their actions? I mean... You look at that and go, that's just not fair. They should, they should have to pay for that. I mean, we watch and we read about it. Um, and sometimes people do some horrible injustice to somebody else and they get away with it and there's no consequences. We look at that and we say, this is not fair. There should be some sort of accountability. And that's exactly what happens at the great white throne judgment. God takes all of judgment, all of sin for all of history. Scripture tells us this in, in Hebrews 9. It says... Um, It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. That's God's plan. Die once, live twice, born twice. The problem is that at this judgment, at the great white throne judgment, the opportunity now for salvation is gone. It's gone. Many people are traveling on this broad road going through life pretending to be, I think in some cases, unsure about God or denying God outright, living a life that just rejects relationship with God. And it's too late for them to seek relationship. I know some people think, you know, I'm legitimately trying to sort this out. I just don't know. And they never initiate relationship with God. Um, This isn't in my notes, but Romans 1. I wish I had my reading glasses, but I'll, I'll struggle here. Smaller print in the Bible than there is on my notes, see, so... Um, but there's a passage in Romans that talks about people that don't, they haven't sorted it out yet. That would be their position. I'll just read this to you. Romans 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifested in them for God has shown it to them. Let me keep going here. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That's us, things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now listen, I, 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 I love you too much to stand here and insult you. So I don't mean to use harsh words. I read the word of God. It's God's words, which I completely submit myself to and trust and believe. 
But that scripture tells us that people who are saying they're trying to figure it out will be found without excuse because God has shown himself to them. I believe the Holy Spirit courts people, shows himself to them as well. People know God is there. And so in this moment at the great white throne, the clock stops. It's that becomes the moment where balance has to be restored, where justice has to find its place. And I I really believe that God does not want a single person to perish. Scripture says God doesn't want anyone to die like this. I, I really, you know, for me, the picture is this. The entrance to to hell, it's almost like Jesus is standing in front of it saying, no, don't go in there. You have to go past me to get in there. That's really what's going on. I really believe he just does not want a single person in there. And that's why, that's the reason why a person's life decision to have nothing to do with God makes the great white throne judgment fair. Not only fair, but required. Not only fair and required, but just. And I, I, I have to say to you as, you know, as a pastor, I don't want to preach this. <laughs> I don't. I do because I believe in preaching the entire counsel of the, of the word of God. But I find no pleasure in standing up here and saying to people, a lot of people are going to go to hell. I find no pleasure in that, and I, I know God doesn't either. My hope is that the penetrating, loving truth of God will capture people's hearts before their moment, before it's too late. That's really what I hope by sharing this. Apart from the fact that we need to know the truth and we need to know what Scripture says, you who come here regularly know I don't stand up here and thump on the Bible and scare people and yell, you know, hell. I don't do that. But neither will I ignore something that's so important that could make an eternal difference for for many people. So... I share that, and, um, and I say this, that if you're now feeling like, okay, good points here. How do I get this right with God? I'm coming to that. I will come to that in just a minute or two. I think if we want to get on the subject of what's not fair, what's not fair to me is that the innocent one was crowned with thorns, and I get off scot-free. What's not fair is that I'm robed in his righteousness, and he's clothed in my sin. He suffered on my behalf, and I'm the one that's guilty. So, you know, God so loved the world that he made a plan. He provided a gate and a road and a way that leads to life. It's there for us. That's why, you know, God, he, that, that plan is called the gospel, which literally means good news. It's good news. It's a good deal. Take the deal. (laughs) Because our God is merciful and he's loving and he's just um, and he's God. So I thank God that when the end comes, I'm not going to get what I deserve. (laughs) I'm going to get something I don't deserve. And that's why I want to (laughs) live life on this earth worthy of his rewards in heaven. Everybody, could you give me a big old smile and then let's pray? That's good. Okay, so let's pray. Father, today, I pray that your spirit would minister faith to your people and that we could find ourselves living a life worthy of your rewards in heaven.
Keep your eyes closed, please, church. You know, as you're praying today, those of you, I want to talk to Christians first. I want, I want to ask you a very simple question, one that has very serious implications. The question is this. Do you truly want to live a life on earth worthy of his rewards in heaven? And I want to be careful here because I'm not saying to you that you're going to win his favor and his approval because you're already accepted in Christ. But if you're a Christian and you say, yes, I really do, I really want to live a life that pleases him. I want to give in his name. I want to serve in his name. I want to love in his name. I want to witness in his name. And I want to make a difference in his name. And I want my life on earth to bring glory to him in eternity. I want my life here to be worthy of rewards in heaven. Eyes are closed. Would you put your hands in the air right now just for a moment? Thank you, God, for those who desire to please you in all they do. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to know the needs that are right around us, God. And God, with the purest of motives that we would visit the sick and visit those in prison and clothe the naked and feed the hungry. And one day in heaven, you would say to us, you fed me, you visited me, you clothed me. And we'd wonder, when do we do this? And you'd say, when, we, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. God, help us live a life on earth worthy of your rewards in heaven. As we keep praying today, you know, some people here right now, internally there could be some spiritual discomfort because of the news I just shared. And I, and I, you've heard this message, you're a bit unsettled, and if you stood before God today, you might be wondering, if I, before the great white throne judgment, that's not good. You realize your works are not good enough and your sin disqualifies you from heaven. Here's the good news, the good news. The good news is that when God does punish sin, that's fair, but when God does not treat us. He doesn't always treat us as our sins deserve. And here's when. If we call on the name of Jesus, who was without sin, he's the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world, raised from the dead so that anyone who calls on his name would be saved, forgiven, and transformed. That's why many of us are here today. Many Christians are here because we've made that decision, and so we're here to worship God, and others are here because the Holy Spirit has called you here today to make that decision today. And when you turn from your sins and you turn towards Jesus, no matter what you've done, he'll forgive every sin. He'll make you brand new. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life, and it can never be blotted out. Today is the day of your salvation. Those of of you that are here that would say yes, I want to trust in him. I want to give my life to him. Jesus, take my life, save me, and make me new. Raise your hands right now. Praise the Lord. Good, I see those. That's really good. Good, that's so good. Several hands. Everybody, would you pray aloud with those around you? Pray these words. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again so I can live for you. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.